while uh, a worried woman rushed off to see her doctor. Doctor, take a look at me. When I woke up this morning, I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw my hair wiry, frazzled, my skin all wrinkled and pasty, my eyes were bloodshot and bugging out, and I had this corpse-like look to my face. What, what do you think's wrong with me, doctor? And he examined her for a bit and then calmly said, well, I can tell you, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. That's it, that's it. <laughs> so, anyways, I thought, isn't it amazing how we're so attuned to what's wrong with our outward appearance and something that doesn't look right there, and yet how often we fail to really see our spiritual condition of our heart that is filled with self-righteous pride. And really, that's what this chapter is dealing with and how to get along with those who don't agree with us on certain things. I remember years ago... Uh, a man who had moved down from up north and attending our church, and he didn't have a landline yet, so he showed up on a Sunday afternoon at our house. Can I use your phone? And he walked in. Of course, we had the Bucks game on, and he said, "I don't believe in watching football on Sunday." You know, and my husband said, "Well, okay, we won't ever invite you over here on a Sunday." <laughs> well, he wasn't gonna stumble, trust me. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> There are a lot of practices that are not clearly right or wrong, condoned or condemned in Scripture. And as we come to our study today in chapter 14, we're instructed by God through Paul how to get along with those we may disagree with about certain things that we do. The problem in the church at Rome was that the believers' attitude were varying and different regarding certain foods and certain special days. There were believers who felt very strongly that it was wrong to eat certain meats, and so they only ate vegetables. They probably were the smaller believers. <clears throat> That's a side note. But anyways, and uh, other believers in this church <laughs> knew they were free to eat anything. They were not bothered by these types of restrictions. In any case, it may have been Jewish believers who had come to faith in Christ and were not quite comfortable eating non-kosher food yet, or it may have been Gentile believers who knew these foods had once been offered to a pagan god they had once worshipped, and that made it difficult for them. Then there's the certain days uh, being observed in a certain way, likely, again, Jewish believers, so their attitude toward the Sabbath, or certain very important holy days in the Old Testament. So those who felt, or those believers who felt they needed to restrict their diet and their activities are referred to as the weaker brethren. And those who had freedom to do these certain things are called the stronger brethren. Now, there are many issues today in the church that fit into these same gray categories, although certainly in our day, you know, what meat you eat and a certain day doesn't seem to be the issue. You could get a spark of conversation going, though, if you were to talk about having a glass of wine with your meal or the instruments being used to give praise to the Lord or the way you choose to educate your children or whether or not you go to a movie theater or your choice of music or hairstyle or how you dress as a woman or a man or the amount of jewelry to be worn, not worn, makeup to be worn, etc. and what you do and don't do on Sunday. The list goes on for forever. And none of these matters would cause conflict amongst people if they kept their convictions to themselves. But that's not how that usually goes, is it? If I think this is right or wrong, then everyone else should feel that way too. 
and that really is our pride. <clears throat> I suspect if I took a poll here and just had you all write in, you would probably all say that you are the strong brother. Um, you know of the weaker, but that wouldn't be you. <laughs> so anyways, uh, and, and Paul, you know, he was considered himself to be the stronger brother. Uh, it's not our role, though, to come in and to try to change people so that they see things our way. You know what? Each one of us are going to answer to God for how we served him, and we will not answer to a panel of people that are standing there next to God. So the focus of this chapter and these first verses of chapter 15 as well is how to accept each other, even though we may not agree on gray areas. Now, I, I emphasize gray areas because the absolutes of Scripture of right and wrong are not negotiable. Those are the truths we must die for and stand up for. We're talking about those gray areas. So, how to have unity of believers. We begin with reading, accept one another when we don't agree. Verse 1, now or 2, verse 1, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So Paul speaks of the one weak in faith. He's not speaking of somebody who's morally weak. Rather, this person refuses or restrains himself from doing certain things that the Bible doesn't say they have to restrict themselves to. This person is not weak in faith, he is weak in the faith, in the sense that he hasn't grasped the liberty that he or she has in Christ. So rather, there is a sense of needing to keep some legalistic rules or regulations, whether it's food or worship. The Greek word here used for weak uh, suggests that it is a temporary uh, position to be in, a temporary condition. <clears throat> Certainly, uh, these particular areas of food and special days, as I mentioned, are not the typical struggles that we have today. Ours are more, like I said, music, entertainment, what you do on Sunday, and so on. If you were raised in a very structured, rule-oriented uh, home or church, and told even that these rules were based on Scripture, then you are very influenced by what you're told is right and wrong, and gray often does become black or white depending on your upbringing. <clears throat> Sadly, many people have reduced spirituality to keeping a list of do's and don'ts. I've always wished it were that easy. And, and that, uh, that is how you have a measure of being godly. It also becomes the standard of what is spiritual. So those who diligently keep the list of their particular denomination or church, and they do all of those things, believe that they are the strong in faith. They are the spiritual. And they look down on those who don't behave the same way they behave. There really is a lack of understanding of the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul tells the strong Christians to accept the weaker brother. Don't ignore them. Don't shun them. Don't be, refuse to be with them and be intolerant. There is to be a kindness and a sensitivity with them. This is not to be done in order so you can straighten them out in regards to what is right or wrong. The fellowship believers is not based on these things, so be aware of the danger of criticizing others. You know, we're to accept our weaker brother the, the, the way they are. And why are we to do that? Because reasons we're to accept them. The first one is God has accepted them. We read in verse 2, One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. 
The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. So beware of the danger of pride that would cause a believer to look down on those poor, legalistic believers who just don't know their freedom. They don't want to be around these people because they are so narrow in their thinking, and there is often an attitude of not uh, just wanting to be with such people and having, or having a loving attitude. Then on the other hand, are the weaker brethren who often judge those who have freedom to do things they don't feel are right to do or feel all right about. And after all, if I'm convinced about a certain behavior, then everyone should see it as I see it. And that really is our pride, ladies. The person with legalistic convic- convictions judges those who they seem to think are unspiritual because of their appearance or the things that they do. Christians don't look like that. They don't have those things on their body. Whatever. <laughs> so both look down on the other and both judge the other as being the unspiritual. So Paul condemns both of these attitudes of rejecting each other. Why? Because God has accepted them. God accepts people the way they are, regardless of their hang-ups or their sense of freedom. Whether you have liberty to do certain things or not, we are all part of the same family. So we don't put others down. We don't make names for them. We don't judge them or despise them because we don't agree with them. When you came to Christ for salvation, he accepted you just as you were, not based on how you looked or what you thought or what you ate. So how dare we as believers impose our views on those we disagree with? We are to accept one another the way we are. We are also to accept one another because we are all belong to the Lord. As verse 4 says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or he falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So here we have the weaker brother judging the stronger brother as being non-spiritual, certainly headed for a road of disaster. Your fellow believer, <clears throat> your fellow believers do not answer to you. God is their master. The overscrupulous believer thinks that the believer who is free to do certain things, look a certain way, is doomed to fail in their Christian life. But it's not our job to evaluate the spirituality of others. Legalistic people accuse others of being non-spiritual. Non-legalistic people accuse others of being modern-day Pharisees. <laughs> but all believers answer to the Lord, and he is their master. There are just too many who think they are self-appointed policemen in the church, or the per- people who are supposed to straighten everybody else out. Paul says, stop judging because each one will answer to the Lord. They don't answer to you. We also accept one another because their motive is to please the Lord. You know what? We're not in somebody else's body, mind, emotions, experience. We're different. Only God sees all of that and what's come into a person's life and what they're dealing with. Paul moves on to talk about certain days. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Both the weak and the strong brother have different perspectives, but they both want to honor the Lord. We should accept each other 
even if we disagree, because we can understand that each is acting out of a motive that wants to please the Lord. Now, Paul could have gone into a great discourse here about the fact that we're no longer under the law, and we're free, and I'm free, and you should be free too. But that's, that's not his point. He is trying to deal with uh, those who might have a weaker conscience to never go against that, and those who have a stronger conscience not to force their views on those who are not yet ready to do certain things. So we accept one another also because we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a reference to the Bema seat of Christ. Not a place of judgment, because for those who have trusted Christ as their sin bearer, he bore the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. So it's not about judgment in that regard. This is a time, rather, when rewards are given for obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. Paul's point is that everyone's going to stand before the Lord someday, and they will answer to Christ, not to you. So stop judging or despising fellow believers because they see things differently than you see them. Now, the message of this chapter applies really to all of us. As I said earlier, I doubt anyone here thinks they're the weaker brother. Uh, The real message of these verses are to instruct us how to get along with each other when we don't agree with each other. All those areas that are gray. And how often God has been dishonored by countless church books. Not because people are standing for the truth of the word. It's personal preference and opinions. You know what? If you're critical of others and judgmental, then it's you who needs to change. It's you who needs to repent of your self-righteous pride. Stop your criticizing and accept the fellow believer. After all, God has accepted them. They belong to Christ, not to you. They have motives that are right. It's Christ who is their judge, not you, not me. How dishonoring we are to the Lord when we harbor bad attitudes and look down on people. And they are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It is sin. It's our pride. It's interesting that Paul doesn't try to correct the weaker brother here and instruct them in their freedom. Again, he focuses to get along with one another when we don't agree on things. So, how the stronger brother is to love the weaker brother. First of all, understand the principle of love. Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, let us judge one another, or rather, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in the brother's way. I know, and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt... You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Rather than condemning or judging, make sure you don't put a stumbling block in a weaker brother's way. To use your liberty, you must first consider the impact it may have on those who you are supposed to love. More important uh, than the use of your freedom 
is that you never injure a weaker brother in the use of your freedom. The strong believer understands that all food is acceptable to eat. Everything's created by God for us to enjoy. Jesus said it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's the wickedness in our heart. It's not what the food that we eat. Paul knew all foods could be eaten by believers, yet not everyone yet understood this. It isn't easy to let go of something you always thought was wrong if you grew up in a kosher home, and now I, I can eat other things. So those believers that did not have a clear conscience to have a pork sandwich are sitting next to someone who has no issue with that. It is wrong for the believer who is stronger in this case to say, get over it, have a ham sandwich. It's okay. I'm telling you it's okay. <laughs> it's good. But if they don't have the freedom in their own conscience just to do that, it isn't good. It is sin. If their conscience says it's wrong, it's sin for them to do that. In time, as they realize the truth of scriptures and grow in their faith, they will become more comfortable and move on to have a greater freedom. It's something that's gradual as you learn more truth from God's word. To force a weaker brother to do certain activities when their conscience is not ready for it, then they are injured spiritually, and you have hurt this one for whom Christ died. If you love your fellow believer, then you can refrain from your use of freedom for their sake. There's no food or activity that is so important that it would validate you harming a fellow believer. If you love your brother in Christ, you can refrain from your use of your freedoms for their sake. Philippians 2 is our great example in Christ, who left all the glories of heaven, laid down his rights, yielded his rights, and became a man took all the abuse, hung on a cross, tells us to esteem one another more important than yourself, and he is our model to follow. We need to also recognize the priority of love. I'll just take it all off. But don't look ahead. <laughs> so, therefore... Do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in, who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So when the world sees Christians fighting and inflexible and petty, God is blasphemed. He's mocked. Our faith is not about what foods we eat or don't eat, or what rules we have in those other great areas. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of us have been guilty of majoring on things that are so minor? When we, and a lot, a lot of times I think that happens because you can deflect the lack of spirituality in your own life when you keep focusing on these other things that people are doing. And so that makes you feel better about yourself. When we love others, though, we don't force our freedom on them over petty issues. Our faith is about a total transformation of our heart, dying to self, giving glory to God, godliness in our attitudes, our reactions. That's what matters, not fighting over a personal preference that people have put, sadly, often on the same level as Scripture. We should love each other so much that we refuse to break fellowship over debatable issues. This is how we honor and please the Lord. We're to pursue love. Verse 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. 
Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives a sense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother might stumble. The way we should determine how to use our freedom in Christ should come from a heart of wanting to build up others and promote peace. Keep the bond of peace going. Love voluntarily gives up rights and puts others first. To cause someone to stumble will hinder the work that God's doing in their life. Even something as common as eating meat or drinking wine should be done with concern for other people. So if Paul considered eating meat or drinking wine to be sinful, he would not have used it as an illustration of a gray area here. The point is that doing anything as mundane as eating and drinking should never be more important to us than the welfare and spiritual well-being of a brother or sister in Christ. We are to practice love. Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because if his eating is not from faith, whatever is not of faith, um, is, from, is sin. In other words, keep your personal convictions on these gray areas to yourself. Don't show off your liberty before others. Uh, rather, let it be between you and the Lord. Paul isn't telling believers to give up all of your liberty. Rather, keep it between you and the Lord so others are not harmed. He says you are happy if you have a clear conscience. It is a blessing to know you can rest in your freedom, freedom in Christ. But not everyone has a clear conscience over certain things. And if you try to force your convictions upon them and they don't have that clear conscience and then they do it, it is sin. There are some things others can do, but you cannot. And that's okay. But to do something you don't feel all right about, even if you know it's biblically permissible and everybody else is okay with it, to you, it is sin. Never ignore your conscience. If you disregard your conscience, it will eventually lead you down a road where you will uh, ignore your conscience when the things that are moral absolutes come along. If you ignore your conscience, it does set you up for a big fall. I just read a verse this morning I thought was so good from Luke 16.10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. Little things. Little things nobody sees. God sees. I remember clearly... In high school, convincing a friend of mine to go to a movie with me and another girl. And she was from a home that didn't allow her to go to movies. And we pressured her to go. And it wasn't Mary Poppins that we were seeing either. (laughs) Um, But anyways, we pressured her. She wanted to, you know, do this thing. And so she went. But I knew she wasn't comfortable. It was such a little thing. It was like, okay, you can do this. And it wasn't that many years later that after a year of marriage, she walked out on her husband. A moral absolute, no biblical reason. He was devastated, dumbfounded, but that's a course that can happen. You ignore your conscience on things that are nothing things, it will come back to the things that really are God's moral absolutes. If you can ignore it and the other, you will end up doing it there. Very, very dangerous. And that is really what causes a brother to stumble. 
my illustration of my foolishness in high school. So, perhaps her conscience of my friend at one time bothered her. Well, it did bother her to go to a movie, but it didn't bother her to leave her husband. Amazing. There's a difference with a legalist who is convinced that certain activities are wrong. Such people are never going to be tempted to do them. They are only condemning or annoyed at others who do such things that they don't approve of. That's not the same as stumbling. They're never going to do it. You're wrong, and that's all there's to it. We're talking about somebody who's like, oh, if you can do it, then maybe I can, even though I don't think so. And that's what causes a brother to stumble. Anyways, those kind of people who are set in their ways, like the man who come, came to our house. We don't watch football on Sunday. He's not going to stumble because we were watching football. He's just annoyed that we would do something he didn't approve of. So, the only one who, uh, the one who is unsure of their freedom in Christ, who may be new in their faith, and they see an older, mature believer doing something that they're not comfortable with, we must be so careful we don't cause them to stumble. This would tempt them to participate in doing something they don't have a clear conscience yet to do. And we must respect everyone else's conscience. If you are aware of someone that could be hurt by what you think is harmless, then love them enough. Love should dictate to you that you don't do that in their presence. We're to please others just like Christ did. What a great example we have as this whole theme continues in chapter 15. Be selfless in your behavior. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to his edification. So Paul speaks here to the strong brother, which is not necessarily synonymous with the godly brother. You can be the stronger brother but not be godly in your attitudes. One can be strong and understand their freedom in Christ, but with that there must be a godly attitude and awareness that with that freedom comes responsibility to love. Paul included himself in the strong group that ought to bear the other's weaknesses. Ought, in the Greek, means to owe someone, to be a debtor. We owe it to fellow believers to help them, not to bring them harm. Because we want to do what we want to do. Because we love, we bear their weaknesses. The word bear means to carry and to support. So the strong are to lovingly put their spiritual shoulders under the weak brothers and help them in their cares. This can be new believers, and it can be older believers who have not grown in their understanding of Scripture. They may know Bible truth, but they haven't allowed God's Word to enlighten their conscience. There is a great need for biblical integrity. So, often there are things that are allowed or not allowed or said to be um, okay or not okay, and they say that it's based on Scripture. But in reality, it's not Scripture. It's personal preference. I remember uh, Steve and I being in a conference in another country, and I don't think I've ever been in such an oppressive situation. I, I was practicing a song I was supposed to sing, Lamb of God, an old toilet Paris one. And the pastor, when he heard me, was like, excuse me, we don't sing that kind of music here. You know, and uh, that was kind of hard to believe about that song. But at any rate, it was a type of group that all they did was talk about everyone else who didn't cross their T's and dot their eyes like them. It was oppressive. And it was such a code that they all lived in and everyone out of their box. 
And, and the real heart of pride and arrogance was completely unseen to them. They're the spiritual people. It was, it was an eye-opener. That's not what we want to be like. So the question is, are you quick to condemn certain cultural matters of our day and call them sin when in reality it's your preference? Paul is telling those who know their freedom in Christ to put yourself under the load of the legalistic weaker brother. In love, help them carry their burdens because life is not about pleasing ourselves. Our mindset should never be, I have a right to do what I want to do and I enjoy doing this thing without caring for others. When we are self-centered, we lack consideration for others, and that is when conflicts arise. If, we're, if we stopped living to please ourselves, we would eliminate a great deal of friction in the church and obviously in our home as well. It is right to try to please other believers when it is to help their spiritual growth and when it doesn't violate scripture. The focus should be on sensitivity for our weak brothers and restraining the use of our freedom if it would be disturbing to them. So, does this mean we have to go along with every foolish whim that some might adhere to? There are believers that you will never be able to please unless you become them. They are not the weaker brother, as I mentioned before, that Paul is speaking of. They are the critical, fault-finding brother who sees everyone else as wrong and they are right. Paul is speaking about the untaught believer sincerely having doubts about certain things they're not comfortable to do. Believers are to be selfless and help carry them as they grow in their faith. And we have the perfect example of Jesus. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ became a man. He lived to please the Father. And that's why he was willing to endure the harsh, uh, harsh criticism and physical abuse, being told he's doing his power by Satan, and on and on. Again, Philippians 2, that great example of suffering and how we ought to live. And follow Christ's example. So... The pattern given to learn selflessness is seen in verse 4. We have the scriptures. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We look to the Old Testament. That's why we study the Old Testament in this study, because there are example after example of believers who have stayed true to God, have demonstrated to us you can trust him when everything looks wrong, like Job, like Joseph, and men and women who witness to us and encourage us so we persevere to the end in our walk with the Lord. So, in applying this, ladies, getting along with others, as we have been instructed to do here, is only going to happen when we stop living for ourselves. We must repent of our sinful pride. And honestly, I mean, the Lord convicted me greatly of this week, and I can't be alone in this, I'm sure. Um, because those instant thoughts you have, just when you see a certain look or a certain whatever, you've made a judgment. Or when somebody says or does something, you've put them in the box you think they go in. And how dare we do that and act that way? It's so easy to look down on others for their ignorance of truth, they're just not as enlightened in me as me. How pathetic. Why aren't they as far along as I am? They're, they're older than me in the Lord, and on and on it goes. So we think uh, we've been enlightened. Other people should see it just like we see it. We need to lovingly accept believers and help them to grow in the knowledge of the word. 
That may require giving up certain freedoms, but no sacrifice is too small. We do that for our family all the time. And fellow believers are our family. So some thoughts and questions that, as we close that might be good to ask about those gray areas. Do I need to do this thing? There may be my freedom to do this, but does it mean that it's beneficial in my life? Or is it profitable for my Christian life? Doing this, does it help me or hurt me? Another thing, do I have to do this activity? In other words, has it become something that now controls me? The only thing that should control you is the Holy Spirit. And would Jesus do this? If we were together in a social setting, would he be comfortable with what I'm doing? Well, he is there. (laughs) Just because you don't see him, he is. And so if you have a question like that, then you restrain. And is my testimony for Christ hurt or helped by what I do? The whole point of this teaching from the scripture is to teach us how to accept each other, how to love each other, how to be unified as believers, giving glory to God. And then Paul gave that great prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing by the power and so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is so practical. And it is sharper than a two-edged sword and stabs right into our heart. Lord, we are so easily deceived by our own hearts that are wicked. And we rationalize why we can be judgmental and we rationalize our sin away. Father, I pray for each one of us to be sensitive, to love others, to not just think about living for self, Lord. I pray that we would love those who are different than us and be accepting of those who don't see things the way we see them, Lord, that we would be an example that you were to us of yielding our rights. In Jesus' name, amen.